It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight, we will review and discuss the Illustrated Goetia 2020 by Orendel Overman. The author is our call-in guest, and we can guarantee a fascinating discussion that fans of ceremonial magic will not want to miss. How do the spirits appear? As distorted faces in the magic mirror or as free-floating visions over the triangle? Now, you may be surprised at how much the two wizards agree with each other on how and, uh, and on how far down the rabbit hole this discussion will take you. So tune in and take notes. Arundel, are you are you there? Are you with us? Yes, I am, sir. Oh, thank you, Maestro. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to read that letter that I wrote to you, the one that I that we had trouble getting getting through to you. I'm going to read that letter to to you as a preface as a precedes to the uh, to our discussion, uh, and then then everybody will kind of know where you know uh, how we got this all this whole thing started. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. And the letter the letter goes this way. Maestro, Noske te Ipsum. It was a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to our session on the Hermetic Hour. I have sent you a review copy of the Book of Solomon's Magic Second Edition by Priority Mail, which you should have by Friday. I'm sitting here with my old DeLorence copy of the Lesser Key of Solomon, Goetia, and I'm recalling how excited I was when I first acquired it in 1970. It was the key that opened the gate for both of us. In your case, you as a natural psychic, it directly transmitted a vision. And for me, a romantic mystic, it provided an intellectual path to the spirit world opened by Crowley's statement, the spirits of the Goetia are portions of the human brain. Of course, he was wrong. The spirits were aspects of the mind, not of the brain, or at least at least they were related to aspects of the mind and better described in Jungian than Freudian terms. However, it would be an oversimplification to equate the Jungian collective unconscious with the hermetic universal mind, although they are certainly linked and the goetic spirits certainly reside there in the universal mind. The problem here is that both your psychic free-floating vision of the spirit and my mystic's distortion of facial reflection are both seen and interpreted through our minds along with whatever knowings that they may impart to us. Now, this does not mean that goetic spirits have no independent existence. Your experience with Asmodeus proves that they do. And because Colin de Plancy's renditions of the spirits were not in that 1916 DeLorence edition that both of us had, but the physical description of Asmodeus was. Asmodeus presented himself as he thought you wanted to see him, as a symbolic icon describing the spirit. In 1970, I tried to summon Asmodeus in the dark mirror with a lady receiver. He refused to appear in the mirror, but he did show up for her later on the ceiling. In 1978, he showed up in my dark mirror and helped me pass a course in statistics. The symbolic icons could be used like tantric tankas. What I mean by the symbolic icons, as you know, are the ones that Colin DePlancy did in the Dictionary Inferno you know, with uh, uh, with Asmodeus, he has three heads, and and Ball has three heads, and and um, and Astarte, Astaroth is riding a dragon. These are these are kind of these are kind of uh, they're they're like tantric tankas. Uh They're symbolic icons. But the conjurations the conjuration does say, appear in fair and human shape without horror or deformity within the triangle. And so the psychics and the mystics are both right. We both have justification. You know, in other words, the mystics, like myself, 
we can say, oh, well, uh, the, the symbolic icons are just a lot of fantasy, and, you know, uh, that's, uh, and, 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 and reflections in the mirror are really what, are really what they are, but actually we're both right. I wrote the Book of Solomon's Magic for poor, untalented romantics like myself who needed a method to access the spirit world. We revived Checo Dioscoli's 12th century mirror of Floron, and, found, and we found that he had also used a symbolic icon before getting a, a reflection distortion. Now, you can read all about that in the latest edition of the Book of Solomon's Magic, second edition, which you'll have hopefully tomorrow in the mail. Now, okay, that, that concludes the letter, and, uh, and uh, so let's get right into, into this. This book of yours, which I want to talk about a little bit, uh, this book of yours, The Illustrated Goetia, and it's available on Amazon. You've written several books, and, but this, and this is the one that um, I like this, this particular one because you've also got your magical, your magical biography. It is in this book, and and that's what and it really connects you to the Goetia, and uh, and so uh, why don't you uh, recount for us your first experience, the one that we were talking about in the letter. Recount for everybody uh, your first experience, and then we'll discuss it. Uh, All right, go go ahead. Well, let's see here. I was 19 years old, so that's been over 20 years ago. And I was using the book Modern Magic, and it talked about the Goetia. And so I ordered a copy of the Goetia, and it came to my house. And I was at work that day when it arrived, and my girlfriend brought it to work where I was at. And I looked at it briefly, you know, kind of opened a few pages and saw it had some strange-looking diagrams, and it sounded kind of medieval-looking, but I didn't have a chance to read any of it. And so a couple of days later, I was at my house, and my girlfriend was gone for the day at work or something. And I had a completely empty room that I used for my temple. And the book itself was on the floor on the right as you come in the door. And I came in the door of the temple, and it was my intention to uh, study the book that day because it was my day off. And as I was standing there, I saw a cloud of red energy, kind of like an upside-down teardrop, coming out of the Goetia itself. And I stared at it for probably maybe a minute or two. You know, it was quite some distance. It wasn't like a fleeting vision or anything. And I was just like, wow, what is this? It's so amazing. It was a glistening, sparkling red light. And then I heard a voice that said, stand back in the room and I will manifest before you. So I stood back in the room, and the cloud exploded outwards, and there he was. And he had three heads. One was a man, one was a ram, one was a bull. And he was the, the heads themselves were suspended on the bodies of snakes, which went down to rest on a dragon, which was about the size of an alligator. And the dragon turned its head, and we made eye contact, and this whole apparition was so visible of course it wasn't a solid or material but it was made out of red light everything that he all parts of him were completely red light and i could see individual hairs on his head he had the hair like a wild man just sticking out in all directions and i could see individual teeth in his mouth and his eyes were looking at me and it was just so fierce but i wasn't frightened i was just completely in awe and I often describe it like looking at the Grand Canyon or seeing a UFO or something that's just Niagara Falls something that's just so incredibly awe-inspiring so I stood there for quite some time I don't know you know it seemed like time just stopped I mean I was so in awe but maybe a couple of minutes passed and then I heard him physically you know with an audible voice to my physical ears say pick up the book and I reached down and I picked up the book and all this time not taking my eyes off of him because I was afraid that if I looked away for even an instant, he would disappear and I would stop seeing this incredible thing. So I picked up the book and I'm standing there holding the book in my hands and he says, open the book. And I opened the book sort of numbly, still looking at him. And he says, 
looked down. And I looked down, and at the moment that I looked down, I saw his description for the very first time in the Galician. It said, um, you know, the 32nd spirit is Asmodee. He has this form. He has three heads. One's a man, one's a ram, one's a bull. He's riding on an infernal dragon. And in that moment, I realized that what was in front of me was being described right there in the book and that this creature was one of the spirits of the book. Now, what happened next, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember him leaving. The next memory that I can recall, of course, I've went over this a thousand times in my head. The next memory that I can recall is my girlfriend came home and he was still there and I pointed at him. I said, do you see that? He's right there. I've had this experience. I tried describing it to her, and she couldn't see that. And I don't remember doing that, but she told me that years later. She said, you know, when I got home, you were still seeing him, and you pointed at him and said, he's right there. Do you see him? And um, I have always believed that the reason why I don't remember him leaving was that during the time that he was there and how long it lasted, I mean, it may have lasted as long as 10 minutes. And during that time, I entered into such a high state of consciousness. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't high on any drugs or anything like that. Um, it, was, it was Everything was very clear. Um, but like I said, I, I don't remember him leaving. So that was my first experience of Thousand Day. Completely blowed my mind, changed my life still to this day is the number one spiritual experience that I've ever had. Well, it was wonderful. And and it was and what is so important about it is that it proves this argument that we've had over and over again and and frankly we've been accused using the mirror method, using uh uh you know the mirror reflective method. Uh we've been accused of of just you know just conjuring something in our own imaginations and and people say oh it isn't really real and and but here you had one uh the, just exactly the way it, it it's been described and it and you and you saw, saw the telismatic image of the spirit the way it's the way it's described in the Galatia and and that proves as far as I'm concerned conclusively and I'll argue this with any academic professor who wants to argue it, and and uh, I think I think we can we can convince them that that the Gothic spirits have an independent existence. They don't just exist in our minds. They aren't just something that we create in the back of our minds. Uh, they sure they they relate to something in the back of our minds. That's true. Uh, just like you know our like our colleague Lon Duquette says, you know, you all come, everybody comes uh, uh, comes equipped with the 12 six-packs of Goetia demons. And it's all in your head, but you have no idea how big your head is. And, of course, that's Lon. I'm sure you've heard that. That's Lon's uh, famous statement. But anyway, this proves, as far as I'm concerned, that they do have an independent existence. And why do I say that? Well, I say that simply because um, Asmodeus, the independent Asmodeus, the one that's in the universal mind, not just in your mind, he he knew somehow you were you wanted you wanted to contact a spirit, and he's a very accessible spirit, and and he uh, he came to you and came to you visually in the in the image. That he that he thought you would expect, and that you would and that it would confirm it as soon as you read the number nine in the book. No, this is more than number nine. Uh, as soon as you read his, 34. his yeah, thirty-four. As soon as you read his praises, uh, his abstract in the in the book, you would know that this was him, and and he he would prove it. So he used that telus telismatic image to prove his existence. And 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 in doing this, he also proved to me that these spirits do have an independent, independent uh, existence. And well, yet well I don't. Let me ask you this. What? Let me let me ask you this. What's the difference really between a ghost of a human being 
and a Goetia spirit if it's not just size? Because, I mean, I, I see a ghost as a, a cluster of energy, and, and that energy has a numberable amount of particles. If we could put a number to, you know, of course, this is just a hypothetical number, but say a ghost has a million particles of energy in it. Is there really any difference between a ghost and a Goetia spirit other than size? I mean, you might say a Goetia spirit has a trillion, trillion particles of energy. And what is a spirit other than a cluster of energy which is controlled by a consciousness? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And and as far as ghosts are concerned, I don't need, have you ever seen one? Ghosts? Oh, yeah. yeah. I uh I've seen one a few months ago. I, I do a lot of cemetery walking, and it's not really a ritual per se, but it's just going to the cemetery and walking around and just feeling the energies. And I was, I went to, I had a show I was going to play some guitar music for, and I went to the cemetery because it's, I have a really loud voice. And I didn't want to bother my neighbors in my apartment, so I went to the cemetery and I was playing this Johnny Cash song. And I looked up, and there was this silhouette, and it was just, you know, a human form in a very brilliant white energy, and boy, it startled me. But yeah, I've seen a ghost. Yeah. Well, I I have too, and um, but I I have I, I don't make a habit of walking in cemeteries, but I have seen a ghost, and also uh, your story your story about the cat, you know, when you ran over when you accidentally ran over the cat to make the lion uh-huh. spin. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, I I had a situation where uh, where I had a a pair of great uh, a pair of great danes, a male and a female great dane that one of my members had given me, uh, and uh, my my wife, my ex-wife, uh, our former wife, she had uh, wanted a little kitten, and she had this little kitten, and and my dogs my dogs got in the house. And tore the kitten to pieces, and uh, uh-huh. and yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and and of course it was that was terribly traumatic for my uh, for my wife and all that all that, and I got rid of one of the dogs as a result. But that little kitten walked on the bed at night with with my wife and I. Oh wow! And still did at, after after the kitten had been torn to pieces. The little the little kitten still walked on the bed, you know, walked on both of us. And did you feel it, it or did you see it visually? No, I didn't. I I didn't see it visually, but but I felt it walking all over my body, uh-huh. uh, over the huh. over the covers. Yeah, I and uh, so that that story of yours about about the kit. Oh, by the way, I have I did I was be, being out here and. In Los Angeles, I was able to get a real lion skin, and and oh, uh, wow. you know, yeah, I, it was kind of moldy, but 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 so I had to buy the whole thing, and and, and uh, so I managed to cut one, you know, to cut a good strip out of it. And anyway, uh, uh, the the real nature of spirits uh, or astral entities of any sort, I think they are they are energy energy uh, constructs, and I think if they have any kind of form, it's it's kind of uh, ge- geometric. And one of the reasons why I think that is we use so many geometric forms in magic uh, to control them. And so I think they respond to geometric forms, and I think they're geometric matrices or uh, geometric schematics, if you, if you, you know, if you want to use that term. And uh, and, and I think they have a relation to crystals, I th- you know, in, as far as their structure and their life are concerned. And, Do you and mean at, at the course, core level, at the core level behind the the form that they're projecting yeah, out? You're saying that yes, spirits are, are a geometric form? That's the matrix. Uh, the, uh, See, I thought they, they something much, similar uh, to that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they were uh, just a sphere of energy at their at their core. Yeah. I never considered it. It may be yeah. even a, a geometric form that's inside that sphere, but yeah, I've thought of it as just a sphere. Each energy or each spirit is just a yeah. a, a sphere of energy at their core. And then we can, also can have something to... while I, while I've got this thought in my mind, I've, I've been really wanting to ask you, where do we go when we die, Poke? 
what is it is it heaven is it hell is it reincarnation well, what's your real feeling on that my real feeling on that and of course i'm getting into you know we have we have seven seven degrees now in the crater rapport system and so we're getting a i'm talking i'm talking much higher degree stuff now uh but you know but we we we've discussed most of this either on the hermetic hour or certainly in the in their yoga books uh which I definitely want you to get a hold of our two yoga books. Uh, and uh, to answer your question, I am a firm believer in reincarnation because I can vividly remember some of my past lives. And in fact, that's one of the those past lives are one of the reasons why why I'm I'm into magic, and uh, and probably why I had to why I had to struggle to find a method to actually bring the spirits to visible appearance. And uh, uh, anyway, so I'm a firm believer believer in in, re, in reincarnation, and I know from uh, investigation that the labors of Hercules are are uh, the uh, the key, you know, the key to uh, tracing your previous incarnations. Also, also astrology is the bedrock of Hermetic science. And our our past lives, and and our magic and the magical uh, 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 construction of the goetic system are all they're all based on astrology, you know, and especially planetary astrology and um, basic things about astrology that that uh, we have to consider in magic is that the planets revolve. One uh, uh, either clockwise, and and the zodiac revolves counterclockwise to the planets, and that uh, the difference in those two dynamics are what cause most of human conflicts and human problems, are the fact that the planets revolve one one way and the zodiac revolves the other way, and. Uh, don't just take my word for it. Read the Timaeus. And, uh, Can you tell me about any of your past lives? Would Would you be willing? If it's private, I totally understand, but I'm curious. Oh. I think maybe other people would be. And we, we don't have to dwell on this too long if there's other things you want to talk about. I've got okay. some other right. I've, other important questions I, for you as well. I've already, I've already uh, well, of course, I've got you on this show to, for you to do most of the talking, frankly, but yeah. my <laughs> My wife, my wife just gave me a note. A pass says, "Let him talk." <laughs> okay, but I will. I will tell you. They're curious. Yeah, I I've been trying in a lot of ways to overcome a previous incarnation, and I have some quotes from this this awful character uh, in in the Book of Solomon's Magic. You probably remember him. Uh, he was. He was a Central Asian shaman, and he was a Scythian actually, and and uh, very much, uh, very much of a Zoroastrian, and uh, and yet uh, at the same time, um, he was also uh, studied with uh, studied with the Chinese and and with the Wu master, and, and this he was a very very evil person. When I say evil. Uh, if if you lived in his environment, you might you might find justification for it, because evil people can always find justification, you know, either in their environment, their upbringing, or whatever it is. But uh, but this guy really was what we would consider evil, and and so that's his his life. A lot of which I have recovered, and I don't you know it wasn't fun recovering it. A lot of which he. Uh, I have recovered is one of the reasons why I don't do blood magic and I don't do I don't do drug magic and I don't do blood magic and and I don't do uh really um I never I never get seriously into this flagellation thing that of the guard that the gardenarians, you know, use. So so I've been trying to be a good boy and yet at the same time I'm I'm like you are, I'm a demonologist. And and uh, but I know from studying the old the old magicians like like Checo and 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 uh, 
and of course Tom Rudd, that the old the old magicians didn't see anything evil in in conjuring demons. They didn't because they did it they did it with the power of God. Now, now uh, I was raised a Christian, so were you, and and of course the the Galatia, as you as you know, is a Christian grimoire. Right. Where, yeah, and I think that's one of the, one of the one of the places where our where our where our colleague our friend and colleague Steve Savdo, uh, he he was raised in a Jewish home, and consequently he wanted his poetic spirits uh, to be in the cliff to be from the cliff off, and and you know I, that's an easy mistake to make because Rudd Rudd even made that mistake, the, the Kabbalah the Kabbalah got so mixed up. Uh, during the Renaissance period, the Kabbalah was so mixed up that that the European capitalists didn't really realize the difference between the Cliffoth and and Tartarus, and and yet uh, and yet yet uh, the Goetia the Goetia spirits are not in the Cliffoth; they are in Tartarus, and that's a much nicer a much nicer and more uh, and more uh, comfortable place to be in than than the Cliffoth. Yeah. yeah, I don't associate the Galicia spirits with the Klepoth myself. That they're just different areas that got mixed together sometime in the 1800s. Yeah. But the the Klepoth is a, is a it's a world of disease and cancer and decay and awful things. And I don't necessarily think that the Galicia the Galicia are old gods to me. And I don't view the old gods right. as evil. They may be wild. But nature is wild. I mean, a lion is yeah. wild. But there's a difference between that and uh, what the way the Klepoth is is described, for sure. Absolutely. There, there's a question yeah. that's been really on my mind, and you, we've talked about this a little bit briefly on the phone earlier today, and that's that you told me that uh, you believe that Yahweh is the demiurge, and, and I ask this because I want to get to a, a second question. Is first, if you can, I'd like for you to explain a little bit about how you see the demiurge, because I always kind of avoided Gnosticism. I know it's out there, but it's never something that I've studied into. And I hear people talking about the demiurge as the evil creator God, but the question that I want to get to is. Traditionally, angels are seen as messengers or servants of Yahweh. And I've noticed that you, of course, you have the Amashao, the pagan tetragrammaton that you've developed, and you seem to avoid Yahweh completely, but you don't, um, if I'm correct, you don't see the angels as serving Yahweh. Is that correct? Yeah. I see the angels in the higher levels of the tree as serving Ilion. Of serving the Most High God, and I and right now, on down. Are you are you referring to Elion as being El in the Canaanite El, pantheon, yes, the father El, of El and El and Elion are 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 uh, synonymous, and uh, so they're the and, same being. Is that I'm the gonna, same as Allah? I'm tell you, the same as what? Allah, the the Muslim God, is El of the Canaanite no, pantheon. No, I don't know. So I think totally I think, different. I think Allah. I think Allah, the Muslim Allah, is pretty much been been kind of uh, cast or colored by Yahweh and Jehovah more uh, more than Elion. There is some there is there's some similarity, and and I've kind of I've left that that similarity. Uh, you know, some of my Muslim friends, I've I've kind of Kind of emphasize the similarity between Elion and 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 some aspects of Allah, but but there's more as far as I'm concerned, and I've read the Quran. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's uh, Allah, and at least especially in their interpretation of Allah, uh, uh, he's 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 more he's more like Yahweh than than he is like Elion. Uh, El was considered the compassionate, you know that. And that was his appellation. They said, "El the compassionate," and yet, and, and I, that was never Jehovah. Je, he, Jehovah was always the jealous, you know, uh, the God of war, uh, the God of hosts, and and all that. Uh, and, but, but, I will say this: whenever we do an operation in Malkuth, and there are some, there are some that you do in Malkuth, 
especially geomancy, when you're doing geomancy, we always go ahead and give it uh, to YHVH. We 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 go ahead and and we don't use uh, uh, Shamaata or Amashao. Uh, by the way, while we're speaking about that, I should mention that Shamaata, the three mother letters, uh, you know, Aleph, Mem, Shin, and Tau, Saturn. The three mother letters are the Gollum formula. That's the formula with which the rabbis made the Gollum. It is the original tetragrammaton of power. Okay, wait, wait, wait here. So are you saying that the Gollum really existed and that it was created out of dirt and it rose and and walked around the Jewish ghetto? Let me say Like the legend goes? Now, just a minute. The Gollum, I think they made one. I think they made several of them. But if... If it walked around, it walked around on the astral. And okay, it, so it wasn't and whatever damage, whatever damage, and whatever damage it did to enemies of of uh, uh, to enemies of Rabbi Lowe and his congregation, whatever whatever they managed to whoever they managed to sick the golem on, the golem did his damage on the astral, and and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that that of course makes it black magic, and I don't. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like the, the idea of using the tetragrammaton for black magic, but that, but it was the Gollum formula. And um, okay, this this brings up a really fascinating point. If I could stop you there for just a second, because I want to ask you, have you heard of an experiment that was called the Philip experiment? It happened in the '70s where they created an artificial ghost. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. I've heard of the Philadelphia experiment, and that was involved. No, this is totally different. It's called the Philip experiment. These people were a group of researchers that were uh, college professors. They weren't mystics. They weren't witches. If you ever get a chance, you can look it up on YouTube. And what happened was is they got this idea that they wanted to create an artificial ghost. And so they created this character named Philip Aylesford, and they gave him a backstory, and they started calling him, well, Eventually, Philip became so real that he produced a whole bunch of physical manifestations. He would make a table knock, you know, like the old seances would make the table knock. And he could even physically dim the lights in the room where the researchers were working. And they've they've got a lot of this on video. You can see it happened, I think it was late 70s. Uh, But I've always wondered... And this, it, uh, the reason why I thought of that was because when you talked about the golem being basically something that you could call an artificial ghost, I mean, it existed on the astral plane. It wasn't a real human being, but it could carry out actions. It could do things. They used a sympathetic magic operation. They used a sympathetic magic operation to create an astral being. And, and uh, you know, basically well, that that's makes it. Me that makes yeah. me wonder if it's possible that some of the early gods, I mean, if I remember correctly, you mentioned something about one of the philosophers talking about how man created the lower gods and the gods yeah. of the zodiac are eternal. And if you, if, you the Philip, if you look at the Philip experiment and you say, okay, hey, wait a minute, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, it definitely happened that way. It's also possible that some spirit came along and it saw these researchers were carrying out this experiment. It kind of jumped in and started playing with them, moving the table and, and answering their questions and dimming the lights and whatever. But what I thought that occurred to me that was really amazing, I thought, is that if they could create an artificial ghost named Philip and it really did have these powers, you can see this stuff on videotape and them it moving the table and such. If those group of seven or ten researchers could create Philip, well, what about the possibility that an entire culture like the ancient Canaanites could create a god called Baal, for instance, that could have so much power that it could actually manifest a lightning bolt or other miraculous things within a temple? You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I'm not saying that that it necessarily was that way. But looking at the Philip experiment is really fascinating when you consider the possibility that ancient cultures could create a god 
in that same manner by worshiping it and by building up this image Making of it and a gigantic it thought form. And, yeah, they're right, building a right. gigantic thought form. Yeah, and bringing it to life. Yeah, well, you know, I I don't know about you, but when I when I got started in in magic, I kind of wanted to avoid theosophy because I got the idea in my mind that uh and from a lot of people, you know, that Blavatsky was was mostly in fact, we even called her Blivitsky, you know, the Blivet being a uh, being a, a 75-pound bag uh, with 100 pounds of crap in it, you know, and that's a Blivet. <laughs> <laughs> so we referred to Blavatsky as Blivitsky. But, but what's happening, is the more we get into this, into the 21st century, the more we're finding out that theosophists were really onto a lot of stuff. They really were, even though, even though Blavatsky did some phonies, she did some phony stuff, and uh, and her Mahatmas were were more political in many ways than they were mystical, and and a lot of things. But but there's a lot there there was a lot in Theosophy, and what you're talking about is kind of a Theosophical. This is Theos. This is Theosophical Theosophical phony Tibetan Tibetanism. <laughs> and, and uh, it sounds like it, but but there's a lot of truth in that, and and a lot huh. of things that, that that she came up with, uh, and thought that were possible. And I think I think that yes, I think that enough people, if they concentrate correctly, can create a thought form. And well, of course, you know, we know that we know that sex magic is tremendously effective. I managed to I managed to uh, to get a a terrific career job uh, using sex magic and that was uh, and uh, so I know how effective that can be and the idea is behind that of course is that man is a supernatural being because man according to to Valentine man, man man is not complete the human soul is not complete until until marriage, you got to have a, and the reason for that is that man alone can't create anything, and a woman alone can't create anything. But you put a man and a woman together, and they can create another human being. They have the power of okay. God, and so if 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 they if they use that power, they use that power uh, to create uh, a thought form, a magical child, if you will, then then. And give that magical child a purpose, then they then they could use that creative power uh, to bring the purpose in, in into reality, and that's and that's how, as I say, that's how I managed to manage to get a get myself a really good career job with a with a Fortune 500 uh, company, you know. And uh, but how yeah. long does this thought form last? Is it once? Once its use is done, does it sort of just dissipate into the aethers, or is it possible that it can continue uh, on? That depends. That would all depend on a lot of things, but but I know I know my thought form uh, lasted at least almost until I got fully vetted, and then then it died out, and and uh, and I had to go back into into scrounging around and and trying to get a job after that. And uh, but anyway, there's there's a lot of things you can do with magic, and I think creating creating things, creating astral thought forms that can influence the physical, I think that is part of the process. And uh, is there a possibility that if this thought form grew powerful enough that it could take on independent existence beyond well, the will of its creators, that, or that certainly is a possibility. Uh, there are, the possibilities are infinite, I think. And also, though, to get back to the reality of spirits, uh, what do you think about parallel worlds and, and other dimensions? Well, I mean, the universe is infinite in size. Basically, it's just mind-boggling billions of galaxies with containing billions of stars, and even that's just the visible universe. As far as we know, the physical material universe could go on forever and then if you look at the astral universe which is possibly way bigger 
then it's just it's not something that the human mind can even put their head around and and then you've also got these scientific concepts coming out that talk about how every particle in the entire universe is connected and communicates yeah. with each other and and you see you have a particle here on earth that's yeah yeah it's just it's mind blowing really yeah but yeah particles can well, communicate without uh, restriction on the other side of the cosmos apparently have you which is have just, you seen yeah, have, go ahead have you have you seen our our movie beyond lemuria no i haven't well lon duquette who is a very good friend of mine lon duquette plays hermes trismegistus in in beyond lemuria and he appears as a vision over the top of mount shasta in the film and he delivers a lecture on hermetic philosophy and and on the multiverse and the nature of God and the nature of and you really really uh you really need to uh, uh to see that I think we've wrapped it all up uh in that uh I wrote the script for Lon and but but I think Lon agreed with everything in the script, otherwise I don't think he would have done it but anyway, you need to get um i tell you what if if you uh uh if you order if you order a book from us, uh, from the church itself, here, uh, the, the yoga books, if you order the yoga books from us, and you can get them from, from com if you want to get them there, uh, I will put in, I will put a copy of Beyond Lemuria uh, in there for you, uh, along with sending you the yoga books. And I especially want how, you to... How do you view uh, that? Uh, beyond Lemuria, is it a VCR or? No, it's a. It's I a, don't even know. It, it, it's a DVD. I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> oh, well, but I would love to oh. order the yoga books. That really sound. I want to dig yeah. more into um, what you got going on there. So I'll definitely pick those up. Well, but I wouldn't you, be able to watch the DVD. Well, um, you ought to get yourself a DVD player because. We've got some real good DVDs for you to watch. I don't have a TV. <laughs> oh, dear. I, all I use is a cell phone these days. I don't even have a computer after yeah. I finish writing yeah. 30 books. And then the computer. Yeah, my, my, wife, my wife is sitting over here grinning at me while she's listening to this because she's been telling me, she said, oh, Poke DVDs are nobody, nobody uses uses those anymore. We gotta go over to some other <laughs> form of trans <laughs> She's right, yeah, Grandpa. Uh, okay. That's the thing of the past. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But I got so much good material on D V D and we'll have to figure out some other way to get it packaged. Uh, and, uh and we will. Anyway, uh let me check something. Hang on. What time is it, Lauren? Eight forty seven. Yeah, we got some more time. Yeah. This um this other dimension thing, that's what Beyond Lemuria deals with, is is the other dimension. And it's very possible that these spirits of ours are in another dimension. Now, remember Steve Sabdo thought that. He, he, he thought that all of his, uh, his gargoyle-type goetic uh, creatures, he had them living on, on what he described as another planet, very much like the moon. And it was it was all rock, and there there wasn't any vegetation, and there was a lot of caves, and and these ghoul-like creatures, and they lived they lived in these caves, and and they were all and they close. visited Earth in their astral bodies. I remember reading that yeah. when he when they yeah. were conjured, they came to yeah. us in their astral bodies, but they had physical bodies on their planet, in their world. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's a fascinating that's what he said. idea, and that and that's but very I, possible. I, that's not. I don't know if that's the experience with the creatures that I is save it out, and I, and I'm not knocking his work. I, I greatly respected it. It was a really awesome book when I first read it. But he didn't see any of the Goetia spirits in their traditional forms as the way they're described. I know and that was always kind of something that pushed me back because. I did, and and it wasn't just Asmo Day, but years later, as I built the equipment and I was doing lots of these yeah. locations, I seen, for instance, Furfur run through the room as a fully a full size deer. It was just incredible, made out of light, as a deer would run, just like two or three bounds leaped across 
came from the right side and jumped over the triangle and then went off into the into the wall on the other side. Um, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, like I, I totally one. did see him. Yeah. What's that? That was that was a good adventure. Yeah, that was really good. Uh, now, Steve, though, um, <clears throat> that that's what he's talking about is a possibility that there that there could be could be counterparts, and we could have astral forms from counterparts. That's one possibility. Then another possibility is a dimension is a dimension that is uh, completely different than. Uh, uh, you know, than than our than our dimension physically, it may not it may not resemble that at all. Um, in fact, I don't know how I don't know how many scientist scientist friends you have, but all of the, my physics friends, and I have a bunch of them, they all conceive of other dimensions as being smaller and smaller and smaller. That's 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 their idea of another dimension. Is is scale in size, and that's their concept. And I think, frankly, I think their concept is just as naive as some of our concepts. But uh, you don't want to tell them that because, you know, uh, if they're scientists, they usually think they know everything. But um, well, I've, anyway, I've heard, I don't know. This leads me to a question, and we don't have to dwell on this too much. But I don't know how much you're aware of uh, some of the recent. Uh, videos that the United States government has released of these unidentified flying objects, or if you know too much about the case of what they call the Tic Tac flying UFO. And the reason um, why I'm bringing this up is that some of these the uh, scientists have theorized that these craft could be coming from another dimension that had physical yeah. reality, which is really mind-blowing. And I, I wanted to ask you, just real quickly, what's your general opinion on aliens? Do you think the uh, well, the planet is being visited? Okay, I'll answer your question uh, with one name, Jacques Vallée. I'm, I'm familiar with his work. Very interesting. He tends to say he, that they're they're they they're taking a lot of different forms and the fairies that people have seen at different points in history, or even demons or things like that, were these alien creatures that were just taking that form because that's something that we can observe or we can relate to. And I can understand that in some cases, but uh, there's also cases, I mean, it could be a really huge phenomenon. And without going too far into that, some of these craft definitely seem to be nuts and bolts and solid material creatures. And it kind of, Jacques Vallée's ideas don't really pan out in that area, I don't think, as much. Well, I think Magonia... Let me put it this way. I think the Magonians evolved just like we do. And so maybe maybe the Magonians were sailing were sailing astral astral sailing ships back back in eight hundred AD, which they apparently were according to the rural French at that time. But but you know, by now, by our present era, the Magonians could have evolved a hell of a lot better technology than than astral sailing ships. So, so just uh, a quick yes or no, do you believe that there are aliens visiting planet Earth? I'm just curious. Yes. This isn't really oh, okay. So I that's yes, I, possibly I, many species. Well, I think bird. I think bird certainly ran into the Aldebarans or or the or the Nordics, if you want to go that way. I think he did. And I think uh, I think uh, uh, Maria, the lady of the Vril Society, I think she was into something. And, and huh, so okay, I, okay. I, yeah, I do think I I do think that the uh, uh, the Aldebarans and I I've had a couple of adventures that way myself. You know, we have a we have a soul travel boat which we use to for for the higher planes of the tree of life, and then. I decided I decided that we were going to go far. We're going to try to go farther. So, because when I was a kid, our version of Star Wars when I was a kid was Flash Gordon, and I grew up with all those old Buster Crab Flash Gordon serials, and I right. and I I was fascinated with them. Okay, so I found I found a little a little Z4 rocket ship model 
that was the, the rocket ship that that uh, Zharkov uh, supposedly built in Flash Gordon and went to Mongo. I found a nice model of one of those, and I built it. And well, actually, actually, I had I had my my friend Max put it together, and and got it. We got it all all built, painted up, and everything. And and we actually took that that little Z4. I call it a Z4 because that was that was what it originally was. Flash Gordon, they didn't. Universal didn't make the Z4. It was made uh, by Fox uh, for a, a movie a few years earlier called Just Imagine, and they and uh, uh, so um, Universal bought the whole uh, the whole rocket from them. Anyway, so we put the little Z4 on the altar and opened the doors and and got in our spirit bodies and got in the little Z4. And we went out. We went out to Alderburn, and and uh, and that that was quite a quite an adventure. And then another time, another time, we used a, a Nokian pyramid. You can do the same thing. Uh, you don't you don't need to use a little rocket ship. You can uh, you can use a, a Nokian pyramid and project through that. And but it's very complicated with the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn system. Uh, is really complicated when it comes to that. But we projected well, the pyramid. What? Oh no! Go go ahead. But I want to ask you a question about the Golden Dawn when you, when you get done here. Well, go ahead. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so we built a Golden Dawn pyramid with a little with a little sphinx inside it and everything, the truncated pyramid, and we went and we attended the Galactic Council. Well, my friend John, who was much more of a of a, of a woolly psychic than I am, he uh, or woolly mystic. He was talking with the people down at the end of the table. He was talking with the aliens that that had the that had the purple skin and the silver hair. But I looked across the table at a huge green praying mantis, and this praying mantis looked at me and said, "We are the dominant species on your planet." And I looked at the praying mantis, wow. female, of course, and I said, oh, okay, I have no problem with that. <laughs> and and that, <laughs> that's funny because uh, years later, years later, we, I was recounting the story, and a brown playing mantis, brown male praying mantis flew in the door, which was open, and landed right on top of our little, uh, our little temple uh miniature from from the movie that was on the back of the sh- on the back of the shelf and perched up on top up up on top of this little temple and so we took a photograph of it a little green uh, anyway so yes I do I think in of course remote view as you probably know there there have been remote viewers who who've done long range long range uh uh adventures like that huh Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I've got this Monroe, thought here on the Monroe Golden Dawn. His, but yeah, Monroe and his crowd did that. Yeah. Right. Uh, when did you join the Golden Dawn? Oh gosh, it's been over 25 years ago. I spent 18 years in the Golden Dawn, and I worked with the I don't know if you knew a guy named Robert Zink that was running a Golden oh, Dawn order. Oh, Robert huge, Bob I mean, Zink. Oh yeah. I know Bob. Yeah, um, yeah, I was in the Bob Zink order, and I went to the temples in California and in Chicago and even up into um, Canada. And I worked with that crew um, many different times. I had w- spent five weeks with them, what they called the old power weeks, and uh, yeah. used to go to the equinox ceremonies at Pataw and. I was physically initiated into all the grades up to the portal grade, and then after that, I decided, hey, I've spent ten thousand dollars on traveling, and I'm, I just I can't do it anymore. And so, me and another uh, member in my town built the seven-sided room, the vault of the adepti, and went ahead and self-initiated each other. Well, we initiated each other into the three grades above portal, you know, the Tiferet and yeah. the Seven and, and yeah. I was wanting to ask you, how far did you, because I used to have uh, your Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscripts book, and I remember there was a picture in the front of it that showed you 
working with the Golden Dawn group, and I've been curious for years if you ever made it to the vault or how far you went. In oh, your okay. I'll, I'll give you my, I'll give you a quick rundown of my Golden Dawn story. Of course, as you know, I, I studied with Regardi for a while, and and then especially with his protege Dave Kennedy, and Dave Kennedy and Regardi had a falling out, but uh, but Kennedy stayed with me, and anyway. Kennedy had a lot of regardless material. Uh, so, Kennedy... Oh, wow, that's so cool that you, you knew Regardi personally? Oh, yeah, I knew Regardi personally. In fact, I, when I knew this, him a like lot. When was this, the 70s? This was 1971, 1972, 1973. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Okay, go on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed my association with Doc. He was a lot of fun. Anyway, um, uh I um uh, Dave Kennedy came with me after after he and Regardi had a falling out and he came with me with a whole load of material, including the Cypher manuscript. And uh, and Dave wanted to start a Golden Dawn. And because Regardi hadn't had Regardi had, had one going a few years before uh before the nineteen seventies. He'd had one one going. And uh, with uh, Patricia Beeman, who was his girlfriend at the time, and and all, and Dave, but Dave wanted, wanted to start one, and he wanted to, he wanted to do it from the bottom up. In other words, we would start going, we would start going through the grades, and and all the way up to uh, uh, when we got when we got enough people to portal, the idea was we'd build a vault, and there were so we. Really starting from the bottom up, and we called this thing Isis Osiris, and we we and we qualified it as provisional. And the reason why we qualified it, and you remember that in in the Cipher Manuscript book, it says Isis Osiris provisional. And the reason hmm. why we did that was because we weren't being authorized by anybody except Dave Kennedy, and and who had had a falling out with Regardi, and. So we couldn't get Regardi's imprimatur on it, but all, but we also had Jeffrey James, and Jeffrey James, uh, I'd helped Jeffrey James get material from the British Museum after Denning and Phillips trashed him when he did his when he did his version of the tablets, uh, and Denning and Phillips came in and said, well, uh, and they completely trashed Jeffrey, and so and so. Jeffrey came to me and and he was he was really chagrined because he'd put a lot of work into that and I said well okay Jeffrey Jeff I'll get you I'll get you the the stuff from the British Museum and you and you could write a, a definitive book on on Enochian which he did Jeffrey did a beautiful book on Enochian I don't don't know whether you've seen it but uh, but anyway so Dave Kennedy myself uh, and uh, and Jeff, Jeffrey James, we started Isis Osiris from the bottom up. But by the time we got to, by the time we got got to Portal, got got people to Portal ourselves, we didn't have anybody left. We were doing this with OTA people, and they started off and they were real excited. But let's face it, the Goetia and and Pathworkings and our Pathworkings were kind of. In kind of like a con car. Doing Goetia and pathworkings and seasonal ceremonies is a lot more exciting than the Golden Dawn. Let's face it, the Golden Dawn's the College of Knowledge and all that, but it is it's a dinosaur and the kids just didn't they didn't really warm up to it. And by the right. you know, we could hardly get any of any of them to philosophers. And so we decided uh, John Brooks um one of uh, one of my senior people. When we got there, we, we got all the way up to there. We said, "Okay, we're not going to build a Golden Dawn vault. We're going to build a Craterapoa vault." And, and in other words, we're going to we're going to build a, uh, a a zodiac cyclorama. We're going to build. We're going to recreate the same thing that was in inside the temple in Tyre. You know, uh, the 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 initiatic interpretation of the zodiac. That's what we're going to do. So instead of building a golden dawn vault, we went ahead 
and and we built the we built the um, the credit proposal. But anyway, after that, after that, uh, I got back into I got back into masonry. I had I had been in masonry for uh, in the Scottish Rite for a while and doing a lot of stuff. And then <coughs> we tried to do a we tried to do a um, a thousand dollar a plate dinner to save Manley Hall's library, and um, and Grand Lodge wouldn't let us do it. So um, so I dropped out of masonry. I got real mad because you know we promised Manley that we'd help him and everything, and and I, I just dropped out of masonry for about about ten years, and then I finally I finally met a met a Golden Dawn uh, a Golden Dawn adept uh Merrick Hamer. I don't know whether whether you've ever heard of him, but he's he's one of the most prominent masons in in California. And and he was also also um very, very, very adept in the Golden Dawn. And he was teamed up with, with Patricia Beeman, who was Regardi's old girlfriend, who had who Regardi had given the charter to. And Merrick right. Merrick got me Back into masonry and back into the Golden Dawn, and and uh, and so I worked. Uh, I I you know they didn't. I didn't. I didn't claim any 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 grades. I just started all over again, you know. And uh, because Merrick and, and Patricia were you know they were Golden Dawn professionals, and so I figured I, I'm just going to go ahead and start start over again. And I worked my way all the way up through it. And so right now, I'm the imperator, and Merrick is, and and Merrick is, uh, um, and Patricia passed on a couple of years ago. So we we have the Los Angeles Temple out here. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, so that's that's where we're at in that. Uh, I see. What time is it, Lauren? What? Yeah, well, it looks like we're our hours just about about gone, but. We're going to do this again. Yeah, you man, I. I, I really had a great time. I thanks a lot for answering my questions and letting me uh, pick your brain. And and yeah, it was really cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, this, this has been great. So let's keep in touch. Now I get yeah I got this, your email figured out, and and uh, so we can we can keep in touch. And I really really want you to get our yoga books. For sure, yeah. I'll uh, definitely uh, get a hold of you sometime this week or find those on your website and get those ordered. Feel free to have me back anytime. I still got a bunch of questions written on my board here that we never got a chance to get to tonight. So uh, there's plenty oh, more yeah. things I'd love to ask you. Well, we'll we'll do it again, and maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll get Steve uh, see how Steve's doing. I know we just published. Published a deluxe edition of his book, so maybe maybe he's. Um, I'll I'll talk to you some more about that uh, off the record, uh, uh, but maybe we can get him and uh, and uh, we'll have a have some kind of a go a gracious symposium uh, going with with Lon and Steve and you and me. That'd be interesting. Yeah. That'd be cool, man. Yeah, I'd like to talk to him about the black box operation. I only carried that out once, but that was how he, I think, may have had something to do with the fact that he brought up such harsh uh, antagonistic forms as he was taking it to that place where he was tormenting the spirits with the black box. I don't know if he used the sulfur and the asafidity, uh, but it'd be interesting to get yeah. his views on that. That'd be really cool. So yeah. Well, do you know? I, I, I can tell you right now uh, that uh, that he he actually, if he gets mad enough of the spirit, he'll actually burn the spirit sigil up. And and I said, well, Lon, if you burn the spirit sigil up, how are you going to get him again? And uh, you're you're you can't kill the poor thing, but but you will as far as you're concerned. And he said, oh no, he said. I just I can just do another sigil, and he'll be there. And so uh, that was his uh, that was his attitude toward that. And of course, I told you I I've, I've used I used the the box, and I've had several box experiences. Uh, in uh -huh. fact, in, in fact, I 
I used the box back when I was getting started, and I first started experimenting. And I used the box with some of my some of my Hollywood hippie Satanist volunteers, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's another thing yeah. I wanted to ask you about. We have to get to sometime is, is get your opinion on Anton Lavey and see if you ever ran into any of those that crowd. Oh, I have. Anton Lavey visited me one time, and he looked at looked at all my equipment, and he and he said, uh, "This is what I was getting started." And he said, "You know." He said I was a ceremonial magician for years, but he couldn't make any living, make any money at it. He said so. I painted my house black, and I printed up ID cards. And he said now I'm now now I'm making a good living. And he and he's and, got a point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was selling he was selling those ID cards for ten dollars a pop. And he said I'm selling them uh, uh, to engineers and 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 guys working in cubicles that are being pestered by by Jesus freaks and they they'll have my my Church of Satan ID card so they can show them show it to the Jesus freaks just to run them off. And he says that's right. that's, <laughs> that's how I'm selling them. <laughs> okay. Funny. Well anyway, uh we'll see you again before too long and you should have the book and I really want to get your opinion uh, on 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 the Hermetic, uh, uh, you know, the solid the Solomon's Magic book. I really do, and and I for sure I like to get a good re- I like to get a good review from you on on it. Anyway, uh, so look for it in the mail tomorrow, and uh, let me know by email as soon as you get it, get it, and uh, and we'll get back together on that. Okay. Okay. Sounds great, folks. Have a good night. Okay. Good night. All right. Bye. And all the rest of you folks out there in Hermetic Hour land, next week we'll dig into the first alchemists. Yeah, we're down in Alexandria, in wicked Alexandria. Okay, so I'll see you then, and until then, good magic.